So, of course, um, purpose-led businesses are not entirely new. Um, I would say that uh, the pioneers of renewable energy, for example, probably all would, uh, would count as people who were purpose-led. Um, and uh, we've been, in that sense, collaborating with purpose-led uh, businesses for a very, very long time. Hello and welcome to the Meaningful Business Podcast. I'm Peter Stianovich, Deputy Editor at Hot Topics and your host. Together, we're finding out how businesses and their leaders champion purpose, people and planet alongside profits, and in the process, how to define and lead a meaningful business. Today's guest, who you've just heard, sits outside the purposeful business sector, but his viewpoint is still valid. It is Daniel Mittler, Greenpeace's International Political Director. It's his role to align Greenpeace's political positions across every Greenpeace entity all over the world, as well as to understand how Greenpeace should react or adapt to any macro trend. Purpose-driven businesses are one such trend. And in its mission to drive change across myriad social and environmental causes, it promises to reshape the relationship between government, business, charity, and of course, the individual, you and I. But should charities feel threatened? Or will we witness the forging of a partnership that will redraw capitalism as we know it? Hi, Daniel. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you too, how are you? I'm all right. Excellent. Uh, oh, it's nice to see your face, actually. I wasn't, I wasn't <laughs> expecting a video chat. We can absolutely do that as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, all good. How, how's everything in Germany? Uh, extremely hot right now, actually. Uh, Is it? Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 35 degrees today. There's an official heat warming. You're joking. Um, in Berlin, yeah. Gosh. And uh, an emergency there, mate. It's uh, certainly one word that comes to mind, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, why don't you start us off with introducing yourself and your role at Greenpeace? Yeah, my name is Daniel, Daniel Midler, and uh, I am called the political director of Greenpeace International. Now, um, what the heck does a political director do? Um, I still don't really know, even though I've been doing this uh, <laughs> job for quite a number of years. On paper, it's very simple. Um, it means that I'm the person who gets to decide what uh, political um, position of Greenpeace is when it comes to global political bodies such as the United Nations or the climate negotiations that uh, many of you will have heard of, etc. So um, historically, Greenpeace had lots of different national chapters and sometimes they disagreed. So when we created Greenpeace International to coordinate them, we made sure that we always have one voice at global meetings. But the reality day-to-day -day is a lot more uh, um, interesting than that formal role. It involves uh, working with our executive directors on their interactions with businesses and uh, governments. But it also is a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes strategizing with others as we have a very collaborative leadership of the global program of Greenpeace, which is basically what our campaigns and the things you see on television. Amazing. And the current political system globally, as well as nationally, is uh, particularly interesting right now. So it must be um, dynamic for you, I suppose, in your current role. <laughs> well, you know what? Greenpeace is an action-led uh, organization. So um, the heroes uh, inside uh, a Greenpeace office 
other people who uh, um, drive the ships and uh, um, climb the buildings and so on. And that's exactly also where my heart is. That's where um, I go, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, even the most boring uh, meeting on budgets can get exciting when you suddenly realize you're, we are stopping Arctic oil or we're uh, um, blocking some uh, business that simply shouldn't be going ahead somewhere else on, on planet Earth. So that's where the excitement is. But yes, indeed, uh, the negatives of Trump and so on uh, um, are all very obvious in the world. And that has meant that also the interest in politics and in political uh, work has increased in society, but also inside Greenpeace. So it has indeed an even more interesting job right now, even though it's also a much more challenging environment for many of our, of our offices around the world as Trump and others are trying to close the space for civil society. It's interesting you talk about the activism part of, of Greenpeace's initiative because um, another trend has emerged within um, the business world in particular, that purpose-driven um, identity of, of some new companies. Is that on your um, agenda at Greenpeace to consider um, what this trend means for how the business world um, evolves? Yeah, indeed. And that's also one other role that my team uh, plays in particular to kind of look at the external world and the changes going on there and try and figure out what that means for an organization like, like Greenpeace. So, of course, um, purpose-led businesses are not entirely new. Um, I would say that uh, the pioneers of renewable energy, for example, probably all would, uh, would count as people who were purpose-led. Um, and uh, we've been, in that sense, collaborating with purpose-led uh, businesses for a very, very long time. Our energy scenarios that we've put uh, um, out there for, for decades already um, have been always co-built with the uh, renewable energy industry because we are very principled in that we uh, don't just say no, but we always want to say yes to something and provide an answer to the future that we need if our kids are to have a livable planet. So... Um, but of course, yes, you're right that uh, um, there have been lots of new types of uh, social and purpose-built uh, um, or for-purpose businesses coming up. And they are a big range, as you also know. You can already see that on your own uh, um, podcast from the various people that you've talked to. So um, some of them we're really excited by and would love to collaborate uh, more with. Uh, um, again, some of the ideas, if you look at the B corporations and many of their 100 yes, uh, yes. leaders are not all that new either. So a lot of it is about um, sharing. A lot of it is about uh, um, mutual uh, ownership or some sort of cooperative um, work. None of these things are really new, but it's exciting to see them recognized in the mainstream um, economic world. Yes, and, that, and, and that's yeah. the most important bit, isn't it? It's that mainstreaming of this trend. I mean, the triple bottom line idea, you're right, isn't a new idea, but suddenly it's getting far more traction um, in the media, especially. What, what's, that, what's driving that change, um, do you think? Well, first of all, of course, uh, it's um, society driving that change. It's movements. It's uh, right now, of course, uh, most prominently Fridays for Future that have changed the discourse on, on climate change, that you immediately think of climate emergency when I say it's hot uh, over here, is an example of uh, um, finally the emergency situation that we're in having been recognized in uh, much more mainstream society. So part of it is just reflecting societal changes and a success of the movements that have been uh, driving those changes. 
But uh, I think part of it is also the realization, especially uh, after some of the big failures of mainstream economics, the neoliberal model uh, leading to some of the politics that we see today, um, the financial crisis uh, um, showing that even on its own terms, um, the casino financial capitalist system is no longer able to deliver. Um, those things have made a lot of people who in the past may have thought of people like myself as lunatics um, realize that they might need to look again. And when they looked and looked at things like climate science, but also looked at uh, uh, things like how do we actually cooperate well across uh, um, different cultures and people, they've come up with uh, new ideas and that's a, a positive uh, trend. As you say, the triple bottom line, to me, it's not actually enough because ultimately without the environment, we have no economy at all. The, there's the saying of uh, there are no jobs on a dead planet. So uh, um, it's, it's actually not just one of the triple lines. It is the most important uh, bottom line, but it is damn uh, well an improvement on a, a bottom line that is just looking at financial success that defines a company purely by its uh, um, financial numbers, which frankly doesn't say anything about what, whether it provides welfare for even its employees or uh, um, the wider community at large. Yes, it certainly um, looks to curate a an evolved form of capitalism, I think, as you, as you were saying. Um, with that in mind, how does Greenpeace or does Greenpeace plan then to partner or work alongside these um, purpose-driven companies, whether they're new companies or whether they've been around for a long time? Could you give um, an example, please? Now, first of all, um, it's our role as Greenpeace is a special one because uh, unlike other charities, we don't do um, any delivery on uh, behalf of anyone, neither government or business. So we don't provide, for example, water in areas where that is needed and, and so on. And also we take absolutely no money from uh, any corporation or any government. So when we're talking about collaborating, um, this is about changing the world together. This is not about us uh, becoming somehow a vehicle of a business idea. Um, and the other thing to say is that I think so far, mostly we've been trying to learn from the best in terms of uh, the innovative uh, part of those businesses. So uh, a lot of our offices, for example, have recently tried to figure out um, how we can move from a fairly 20th century organizational structure that also we, we were created in the 1970s, uh, um, have grown up with to a much more collaborative uh, um, sharing internal culture. Um, I mentioned that our uh, program leadership now is very much a collaborative uh, um, leadership. That's been an active change and something that we have uh, taken from uh, the most uh, progressive and successful examples of, of the business world. Now, there, the, there is a, um, a group, including some in my team, that would love to also um, work uh, with um, more of the social businesses on really driving the system change we need in the external world. And I think what we can provide there is that we understand that you can collaborate beautifully, you can work differently, you can work for a purpose, but unless it is uh, saving the climate, it does not have a future. So we can bring that uh, um, grounding in, in climate science and indeed the climate urgency. But at the same time, we um, do not have many of the tools that uh, um, some businesses have, but we do have um, lots of people that we are in conversation with uh, around the world. And um, we would love to set up a thing called the garage um, where we find a space of where these two things uh, um, connect. 
We haven't been able to do so yet, but maybe we will soon. I would love that. So your relationship with these businesses is evolving. <laughs> and it's interesting that you mentioned about Greenpeace's unique um, position within the charity sector in the sense that you don't sort of put out any sort of services or products. You don't um, have to liaise with any governments or, or other NGOs in that way. So you're in a quite a good position then to answer my next question, which is how the charity sector as a whole then, um, how that relationship will change with governments, with individual donors, um, with, with the business world as, uh, in, in entirety, now that you've got an entire subsector which is a for-profit, for-purpose entity. Um, I mean, several um, studies have come out recently sort of citing that the public are far more trustful of, of this particular subsector than even the charity sector, which I suppose could be quite unnerving for you. So from Greenpeace's point of view, like, does that resonate as a, as a, as a challenge or um, is there something we're missing? I think the main challenge we are facing is that uh, um, we're still overusing the world's resources. We still face inequality as a rising phenomenon in the world. And so everyone who is willing to uh, take on those big two challenges together and fight inequality and fight the climate crisis with us um, will be welcome because we need everyone to change everything uh, and we really have no time to lose. So I'm not pati uh, feeling particularly challenged as, as such. Um, but having said that, there is, uh, from the role that we play as Greenpeace, there is also a special role that we play for that subsector in the sense that uh, um, we can call out greenwash much more easily than anyone else because we don't take any government money, we don't take any uh, um, business money. And so if I see some um, you know, innovative subsection of, for example, big financial players like uh, um, Deutsche Bank or whatever, being touted as part of the future, part of the um, for-purpose businesses, I uh, cringe. And uh, it will be also Greenpeace's role to say, well, no, as long as uh, these banks invest in um, fossil fuels, as long as they invest in uh, um, products that are not sustainably sourced, um, as long as that is the case, they can be as innovative and purposeful as they like. They will still be part of the problem. If you were to sort of speak to any entrepreneurs um, who are thinking of becoming more purposeful in of themselves and to sort of lead a company like that, what have you learned from um, other leaders that you've spoken to in the past you mentioned uh, from them um, that would help um, an individual or entrepreneur um, have the best possible start? The, the one that I would uh, go back to is actually Bob Hunter, who wasn't a businessman, but a journalist and, uh, and one of the founders of Greenpeace. And uh, he had the insight that keeps me going every day, and that is that uh, big change looks impossible when you start with it and inevitable when you're done with it. And I think that's uh, the spirit that also drives a lot of the more successful, more innovative, more socially just and environmentally benign um, business leaders. And um, it is our task uh, as um, society as a whole to really make those changes that still look impossible right now to get on a pathway to 1.5 degrees, to create a safe environment also for our children, to end the ridiculous inequalities that we're seeing in our societies right now. It, it can seem daunting. It can seem impossible, but it can be done. And we must turn it from impossible seeming to inevitable in the next 10 years. 
You mentioned that you were changing your, or wanting to change your internal structure um, to reflect the modern world. Is there anything else that you think Greenpeace or the charity sector as a whole could be doing to make it more, not palatable for the, for um, donors and individuals, but certainly more efficient um, in ways that say the purpose-driven sector is doing already? I would love uh, to hear suggestions from, uh, for example, listeners in the in the purpose uh, um, businesses that uh, we could take on. Um, and I think the the key thing that I hold on to is quite an old-fashioned one, actually, uh, and that is, I think, also something that I think businesses must uh, um, spend a lot of time thinking about. And that is, we must not give up on government. And uh, um, government is here to protect the public interest. That's what it should be doing. Right now, it's all too often protecting the old businesses. It's protecting the people who are standing in the way, whose uh, assets should be stranded because they've made the wrong choices 10 or 20 years ago. And some of them are still making the wrong choices now. If you look at BP and others still wanting to invest in new fossil fuels that we simply cannot afford to, uh, um, to burn. So I would uh, also want us to allow line between the purpose uh, um, for businesses and the uh, real leaders for sustainability and civil society to say to government, you need to work for us. You need to work for the economy of the future rather than bail out publicly um, earned taxpayers' money to the industries of the past, which is all too often what they currently uh, still are doing in the UK and around the world. So I think there is a, there is a political alliance that can be built between the civil society sectors and uh, those businesses who really mean it, that they don't just want to change a little bit the way they are doing it, but they want to build a system that can actually last and that can provide um, value for nature and people alike. And are there any green shoots that show that that's happening at the moment? Or is this a 10 to 15 year uh, dream of yours? I think there are plenty of green shoots. Uh, um, as I say, like the, um, I'm, I'm speaking to you from Berlin and I experienced the fall of the wall and I know what it feels like when um, real change happens that you did not think was possible. Because I, only a few weeks before the wall, uh, told off my dad uh, for even dreaming of a world where the Berlin Wall would come down. So it is absolutely possible and we have already seen it in the environmental sector with the rise of renewables. And there, too, there again, it's so beautiful to see that the renewables energy re revolution is still being driven by people. It's being driven by cooperatives. It's being driven by social enterprises. It's being driven by uh, um, people coming together in their communities and saying, we believe in a better way. We no longer want to uh, um, be beholden to the power of the big utility uh, producers. So yes, the green shoots are everywhere. The energy revolution is uh, um, the model that is now unstoppable, but still not fast enough. And there are many, many other areas that uh, I'm less familiar with, but where uh, I also see the excitement in the eyes of my colleagues and in uh, um, the eyes of the entrepreneurs driving it, that I absolutely do believe it can be done, but uh, it will require us taking on power and especially the power of the old industries that are unfortunately at the moment still controlling our politicians and are therefore getting too good a ride because of the it rules. It sounds like, or, and it looks like, I suppose, that um, these purpose of businesses and their executive teams are changing the not only the political landscape, 
between these the, all these stakeholders, including the charity sector, but also the actual the economic model of the Western world specifically. Um, do you think that's a conscious decision on their part because we all realise that it's uh, it's unsustainable, or is it just a natural subconscious progression um, and trying to sort of um, facilitate what the customers or clients or just the general public want? I think the different businesses are very different, right? So uh, um, I think it's it's all of those things. I think it's some people who have discovered their personal mission and are indeed consciously trying to change the world and the system we live in. Um, and it's many others who are just uh, um, had a good idea and then realized that that is actually what people want. And uh, for example, that a more collaborative working style, no matter what you do, whether you destroy the planet by doing um, fossil fuels or whether you're uh, trying to save it by investing in renewables or organic agriculture, um, that these things are actually good for people in terms of their way of working, um, no matter what the, uh, uh, the aim is. I think our role is very clearly to say this revolution must not be greenwash. This revolution must be consciously um, a revolution that is about saving um, the future that we want for our, our children. And therefore, those businesses that have kind of gotten there by accident, I would invite to make the conscious choice to really um, attack power when it is holding us back and to uh, join with civil society when it comes to creating a pathway to a more livable and especially climate safe uh, future, because we really are running out of time. I mean, a lot of that language is um, is activistic. Um, you talk about revolution, you uh, mentioned just now, you know, attack. Um, do you think that language is shared um, with the social impact business um, in, in terms of sort of creating that future goal? It probably isn't for uh, some, and it is for others. In fact, I, um, I'm always stunned by uh, what I hear back. I've never personally been, but uh, um, many of our executive directors uh, often attend uh, events like uh, Davos, and uh, um, very often they come back and they say, well, some, some of the uh, CEOs, especially of purpose-built um, enterprises, are actually behind closed doors, a lot more radical in the language than, than even us. So anyone listening, anyone listening um, who is put off by that language, find your own uh, um, language to express the same thing, that you don't have to attack anyone if that's not what you uh, personally feel like. But I think you, if you reflect on who holds power in our societies and who is actually um, doing the rules that are stopping also more innovation and uh, um, giving a, a purpose led industries a harder time than some of the old industries like the fossil fuel industries, then you will realize that unless we change those rules, we will not succeed in making this the norm rather than the niche. And I think that is the key question, as, you, as we were saying with the uh, triple bottom line. It's improvement compared to a, a system that just looks at financial uh, um, outcome. But at the moment, it is not yet delivering a world in which resource use is uh, um, going down, in which renewables are the only way to do it, and in which uh, we are really sharing resources across uh, borders and, and classes around the world. So we have to do better. We have to make this not just a niche, we have to make this the norm. And we have to actually get rid of um, products like nuclear power, like genetic engineering, that are simply incompatible with the sustainable future. So. Um, there is an element of activism, obviously, uh, in 
the change that we need to see. And that's the beauty of what is happening right now with Fridays for Future, because if you look at history, the uh, big changes that we now all remember, the end of apartheid uh, or, or whichever ones you, need, you name, they all start with enough people saying enough is enough and standing up and saying this is uh, no longer the acceptable. And we seem to be at that moment on the climate crisis. We certainly need to be because we're running out of time. So yes, no apologies for a Greenpeace person to <laughs> activistic, but also full understanding that if this language doesn't work for you, um, then find a different language. But the key thing is that we join on a journey of resource sharing, of uh, working co cooperatively, and of uh, um, making sure that our purpose is good for purpose. And that means that we really um, achieve a world that does not uh, go beyond the 1.5 threshold and is safe for us and our children to live in. The opportunity, therefore, I think, that collaboration you mentioned, trying to turn this niche industry at the moment, the purpose-driven sector, um, into the main stream uh, way in which we do business. Um, this still requires us, though, to critique it, for it to sort of evolve and adapt um, under scrutiny. Um, do you think the purpose-driven sector receives um, a fair amount of scrutiny or um, is I'll rephrase the question do you think the purpose driven sector um, as a a new way, a new model of doing business does it receive the same level of scrutiny that other sectors or other sort of um, industries should be doing at the moment <laughs> I it probably doesn't though I have it depends, again, on what your definition of uh, um, a purposeful enterprise is. And so, for example, if you take something like Airbnb and include that in the um, social business purpose uh, and business um, community of enterprises, then I think you do see that as soon as they become so big that they actually start to have some of the old problems of monopolization and uh, um, having knock-on effects on, on property markets and, and so on, um, they do come under serious uh, scrutiny, and rightly so, as far as I'm con uh, concerned. That is um, a fair debate if uh, you're actually counteracting the social purpose of your enterprise by being so successful, if you like. So I think there is um, certainly a part of that industry is starting to become um, under scrutiny because they are growing so uh, so much that they are having massive impacts and negative ones and unfortunately uh, aside with with others and uh, um, I think there is however a an element to which it is not yet being scrutinized where it is indeed the niche and uh, um, and let's come back to the example of financial actors who are still investing in fossil fuels, who are still investing in genetic engineering, who are still investing in ocean exploitation, et, uh, and etc. Um, but many of the financial houses are also having units that are purpose-driven and are being uh, um, innovative and really do structure themselves differently, work differently, do exciting things in terms of human interactions and so on. But there, I would certainly recommend that we look more critically and, as I say, don't allow greenwash to um, sink in because just because it has a purpose doesn't mean it's good enough because uh, we, it's only really good enough 
if the purpose is in line with a um, shared planet that is actually able to survive, not just for the next 10 years, but uh, for the future that mm. we also want for our children. Absolutely. And, and there seems to be somewhat of a conflict of interest in terms of what we mean by purpose and what people's definitions of purpose entails. I mean, you've mentioned twice now linking um, nuclear energy, uh, investment in fossil fuels and genetic testing, which is inter interesting because I know that actually some of my past guests would include genetic testing as a purpose-driven um, or certainly a purpose-inclusive um, uh, industry or sector. Um, if there is a conflict of interest from the charity sector and the, the sort of purpose-driven business sector in terms of what counts as a purpose, what is a useful purpose for humanity, how do you think those two sectors should make a compromise? Well, this is, I think, the role of government again. Um, government exists to uh, defend the public interest and to uh, um, find those compromises in society when uh, um, different groups can't, can't agree. The problem right now, as we've uh, discussed, is that all too often government is not acting in the public interest, but actually in the interest of the economies of the past and uh, in conflict with our, our future. So when that isn't um, working, then I think the, the basis on which we operate needs to be in as much as possible um, science. And uh, um, there will always be disagreements because science is, always, is also not a neutral, uh, somehow value-free world. But uh, um, it, that is still the best uh, additional, aside from government rules, um, basis on which we should make such, such agreements. But ultimately, this is what democracy is also about, that we fight over what is the right path. And, uh, um, and for us, it's very clear that anything that is um, endangering our future, so uh, um, that is taking risks that are too large and could be irreversible, is not part of the mm. solution. So, and anything that is not in line with what uh, we already know from climate science is a key threshold of 1.5 degrees is also simply not in line with the future we need and can be as purposeful as uh, um, it likes. It will not be sustainable or desirable from where we sit. So based on our conversation today, what are your key priorities um, at Greenpeace over the next 12 um, 24 months? Our priority right now is clearly the climate emergency and getting um, more action from the ground up to national action to global action uh, happening. That's the key um, task that, uh, in fact, all of humanity has to face uh, right now. And it's a, a, a task that we have to take on by um, really making clear who is responsible, because there's very few fossil fuel companies and others that are responsible for the largest part of that problem, and who is suffering, which is especially poor people around the world. Mm. And uh, um, that is our key um, solution or key focus. And that then translates into different kinds of campaigns in different places. It means stopping the expansion of fossil fuel uh, energy in places like the UK, stopping BP from investing yet more money into uh, fossil fuels we cannot uh, afford to actually burn. It means stopping pipelines in North America. It means driving um, 
renewables all over Europe. We've recently in the European Parliament won a vote that makes it uh, legal for everyone around Europe to uh, um, have their own solar panels and uh, renewables installed at home. That's the sort of solutions we're uh, um, seeking around the world. And then I've got to ask, but Greta Thunberg, how important has she been um, in galvanising uh, both businesses for profit, for purpose businesses and individuals in, in causes aligned to Greenpeace? You mean in comparison? Yes. <laughs> I mean, hats off to uh, Greta is the very simple uh, answer to, to that. Uh, it's been incredible to see the leadership from uh, um, her and other youth leaders around around the world. And uh, um, yeah, it's our task to um, get behind that. It's our task to also um, pinpoint to some of the specific villains that we can do as, uh, as Greenpeace with our actions, like when we block the BP headquarters uh, and just kind of say, this is no longer ex acceptable to invest in new um, fossil fuels. But we are just incredibly grateful because uh, um, the leaders right now are the youth. And I think the fact, and this is where it comes back to the purpose um, part of the conversation, I think Greta, already in the last few months, I've encountered so many business people who feel that Greta has given them a purpose again and who feel that remaking their own business area, whatever it is, um, in a manner that no longer undermines the future of our children is now their new purpose. That is a beautiful thing to see and uh, it is something that we want to absolutely get behind. Daniel, thank you. One final question is, um, I would love to continue this conversation um, with your peers and with relevant people of the community. So who would you suggest I get in contact with um, to continue this conversation in a meaningful way? Uh, try and get Greta and see what uh, purpose she can uh, um, give uh, to uh, many of your uh, <laughs> listeners. But also um, maybe think about um, specific themes and, uh, um, and then uh, figure out, you know, who is the right person for a true circular economy approach, who is the right person for um, a system change that um, really does not just look at the basics of triple bottom line, but actually looks at um, the whole system, including our planetary system, and ensures that we uh, do not exceed our environmental boundaries. And then there are plenty of really interesting people to talk to. I'm sure many uh, um, within Greenpeace would uh, actually say something slightly different uh, to what I said, and that's fine. I'm uh, the political director, so I'm in charge of making sure that our fundamental positions are um, the same across the world. But this is also one of the things that we've learned from our um, collaborative and purpose-led uh, um, businesses, that you need to uh, let out the personal voices. You need to uh, um, connect with uh, what people want as individuals, not just as people who hold a certain job and work on a certain uh, job description. And that is part of the journey that we're also on. Daniel, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. In the next episode, I'll be speaking with Sharmian Luff, Chair and Co-Founder of B-Lab UK and its Director of Programmes and Engagement, Kate Sandal, for this podcast's first joint interview. 
Stay tuned to learn more about the purposeful business sector from people who sit at its centre, why and how any organisation, international or startup, can become part of the B Corporation community and the wider concerns facing business leaders today.